History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 467th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, (laughs) my teeth are chattering. (laughs) We have it easy compared to most people in the United States. (laughs) Yes, we'll put a little time stamp. (laughs) We'll put a little time stamp on this one. And this is the holiday season of 2022. And we have a cold wave hitting the entire country that even down here in Central Florida, we hit feels like 22 degrees. Yeah, our plants are not going to be happy again this year. (laughs) No, but we're like, well, I guess we can't complain because there's people that are like minus 50 and more. I know. On this episode, we're going to be talking about a place that's a bit of a warmer climb usually, and that's Old Town Albuquerque. Quite a few haunted locations here. Have you ever been to Albuquerque? I don't believe I have. If I did, it was just passing through. I've been there a few times and it's a really cool city, especially this old town area. And then people are selling their wares on the streets there. A lot of them are indigenous people. So I've picked up some jewelry along the way there. Very cool. I'm looking forward to sharing it. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Jeremiah, Brady, Kevin, Cassie, and Brandy. Thank you so much for joining us in our Facebook group. And now this moment in oddity. We have many adventurous listeners. Their ears may perk up at any reference to fairies or the supernatural. Some of these adventurers would love to spend some nights in a location such as this. It's like an Airbnb of a different sort. Located in Turkey, the fairy chimneys began their creation millions of years ago. This was when volcanic eruptions rained down ash in the area, which formed into rock covered by a layer of basalt. Once eroded by time, the pillars revealed themselves some as tall as 130 feet. The chimneys are located in a region once known as Cappadocia, which ran through the historic Silk Road trading route. This area was raided by the Hittites, the Persians, Alexander the Great, the Romans, the Byzantines, and the Ottomans. They all wanted to claim the land. But it was during the Roman period that the persecuted Christians learned that they could easily excavate these chimneys to create homes and churches. This area is now described by UNESCO as one of the world's most striking and largest cave-dwelling complexes. Today, tourists can even sleep in certain caves and chimneys, which have been remodeled into uncommon hotels. The contemplation of sleeping in such an amazing, historical location is intriguing, but it certainly is odd. And here's another unique podcast I'd love you to check out. Hello, Twisted Humans. Do you find yourself wanting to know more about the latest murder, conspiracy, cult, or haunting? Then this is the podcast for you. In 1952, there was a record high of UFOs reported. 1,500 sightings. There has been evidence of human sacrifice, devil worship, and it is haunted by more spirits than can be counted. A family of two adults and two kids reportedly saw a giant flying thing with glowing red eyes. And meanwhile, the family's nanny that helped Veronica to care for her and Lucian's children was found bludgeoned to death in the basement of their family home. I'm Alicia. And I'm Sierra. And this is Twisted Twisted and Uncorked. And now, this month in history.
December on the 25th in 1821, the founder of the American Red Cross was born. Clarissa Clara Harlow Barton helped distribute supplies to the Union Army during the Civil War. She was born the youngest of five children. As a teenager, Clara helped care for her seriously ill brother, which was her first experience as a nurse. While still a young adult, she spent some time inspiring pupils working as a teacher and even opened a free public school in Bordentown, New Jersey. When the Civil War began in 1861, Barton quit her current job and decided it was her calling to bring supplies to Union soldiers in need. This began her lifelong career in aiding people during times of conflict and disaster. In 1862, she was granted permission to bring supplies to the battlefields and aided in every major battle in Maryland, Virginia, and South Carolina. In 1869, Barton traveled through Europe, and while in Switzerland, she learned about the International Red Cross, established in Geneva in 1864. Upon returning to the United States, Clara began building support to establish an American Red Cross by writing pamphlets, lecturing, and meeting with President Rutherford B. Hayes. On May 21, 1881, the American Association of the Red Cross was formed, and Clara was elected president that June. In 1882, the United States joined the International Red Cross, and Barton remained with them until 1904. Town Albuquerque is home to more than 150 shops, restaurants, galleries, and museums. This community center was built centuries ago and features several blocks of historic adobe buildings. A handful of these locations are reputedly haunted. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Old Town Albuquerque. Governor Francisco Cuervo y Valdez was born into a noble family in Spain in 1651. He got involved with politics and traveled over to New Spain in 1678 and served as an infantry captain. He was eventually appointed as a lieutenant governor and then he served as governor of Spanish Texas. He helped to found numerous missions before he became governor of New Mexico. He founded La Villa Real de San Francisco de Albuquerque in 1706 naming it for the Viceroy of New Spain, who was the Duke of Albuquerque. The Spanish were far from being the first people in the area. Humans had been here for at least 10,000 years, and when the Spanish arrived in 1540, the Tiwa people were living in Pueblos along the Rio Grande. Governor Cuervo y Valdez had a hard time establishing Albuquerque because Spanish law required that 30 Spanish families be living in a new settlement before it could gain status as a village. The settlement only had 18 so the governor ordered a Spanish garrison to be set up nearby so that families would be attracted to the safety of the town. A mission church was also here, San Felipe de Neri. Irrigation canals were built, and soon the few adobe houses grew to several hundred structures. New Mexico was under Mexican rule when Mexico gained its independence from Spain in 1821. At the end of the Mexican-American War, America made New Mexico an official U.S. territory, a fort was then established in Albuquerque. This would be attacked and taken over by Confederates during the Civil War. After the war, a livestock industry grew up in the town, and this brought in a railroad. And that's when the original part of Albuquerque became Old Town, and the city center and government moved closer to the railroad depot. Albuquerque was incorporated in 1885, and although Old Town was no longer the center of business, it truly became the heart of the town. The Pueblo Spanish-style architecture is anchored by the white towers of the San Felipe de Neri Church, which was built in 1793 and has walls that are five feet thick. They wanted to make sure that this one did not collapse like the original mission church. Several locations in Old Town are reputed to be haunted. First, we have the Church Street Cafe. Church Street Cafe is also known as Casa de Ruiz, which means House of Ruiz, and is the oldest residence in Albuquerque and one of the oldest structures in the state of New Mexico. This was originally built a little after the founding of the town in 1706 by the Ruiz family. That ancestor is unfortunately unknown today, 
but the house remained in the possession of the Ruiz family until 1991, when the final Ruiz owner, Rufina G. Ruiz, passed away at the age of 91. Isn't it interesting she was 91 and died in 1991? It certainly is. The home was an 18-room hacienda with the classic Spanish U-shape. The walls are very thick, more than two feet thick, which was normal for the time that it was built. This protected against both cold and heat. Since it was located near the Rio Grande River, adobe bricks called terrones were used in construction. The floors were tile and the ceilings were 15 feet high with wooden beams and there was a traditional ceramic fireplace oven. In 1920, a major flood washed away half of the house, but it was rebuilt. Marie Coleman bought the house when Rufina died. She had a different vision for the dwelling. Marie was a college student taking a break to explore Albuquerque when she spotted the house and fell in love. It really must have been calling to her because she looked in the windows, the roof's caving in, it's been abandoned for a while, it's fallen apart, needs a lot of work. She offered half the asking price thinking there is no way that realtor's going to be like, okay, and it was accepted. She renovated it into an upscale restaurant that offers indoor and outdoor dining with the ambiance of strolling guitar music. But it still retains much of the original interior and it's, it looks gorgeous inside, especially with those really high ceilings. Yeah, I I was a little bit concerned when you were reading the part about how she had a different idea for it or a different uh, view of it. So I thought she was going to change a bunch. So I'm, I'm glad that that didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, all this <laughs> stuff in Old Town just looks like a bunch of little old Pueblos next to each other. It's very cool. Marie was the first person to report strange happenings in the house. It's quite possible the spirit she experienced was Sarah Ruiz, the mother of Rufina, because it wasn't happy about the changes. Sarah had been known around Albuquerque as a curandera, or witch healer. At first, Marie didn't believe in ghosts. Then Marie heard a disembodied voice scream at her to get rid of the contractor. The voice literally screamed, get him out. When the workers would come in to do work, they would find their supplies and tools in a disarray. Buckets would be kicked over. The main contractor was Charlie Trujillo, who was a healer and a bit of a psychic. He told Marie that she needed to sit down in the great room and have a conversation with Sarah, telling her about her plans and that she was going to keep much of the house the way it was. This seemed to quiet Sarah for a time. After the restaurant opened, employees and patrons started having unexplained experiences as well. They would sometimes glimpse the image of a woman in a long black dress who would disappear after being seen. This mostly happened after hours. Sarah loves to engage in light battles. Employees will turn on the lights and Sarah will flick them off. She drops water glasses, throws silverware, and turns over coffee cups. Once this was done in front of an entire table of patrons. Sarah also likes to feed her non-existent chickens outside and sometimes helps with making up tables. So does she just pick up corn mash or something and scatter it around the yard? I don't know. And I don't know. Non-existent chickens. Yeah. (laughs) And and people would, in some of the stories that I saw, they would talk about ghost chickens. So I don't know if they can see the chickens sometimes too or what. But that's just weird unless that's just an actual imprint on the area. Could be. Or maybe uh, chicken foot scratch marks from scratching at the food on the ground. Like if it's dusty hard ground. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Tickled my funny bone. There could be other spirits here as well. A china closet at the entrance has dolls inside. Oh, lordy. And of course, (laughs) they get moved around. They get turned around. Sometimes they're forward and have their faces like up against the glass. I was going to say, do their heads spin on their necks? Oh, God, maybe. (laughs) And Marie's the only one who's got a key to that closet. So every so often, she's got to go in there and fix the dolls. One time, a server was in the ladies' room when she felt a negative presence enter the restroom. The door in the next stall slammed hard twice, scaring the employee. And of course, it's always the ladies' restroom. A window that wouldn't budge near the front of the house was found opened. When the guests sitting at the table near it were asked if they opened the window, they said no. The waitress closed the window, and when she returned to the table later, the window was opened once again. The patrons again said that they hadn't opened the window. So, of course, as long as they were telling the truth, pretty weird, especially since they usually can't get that window open. This reminds me of the Conjuring House. They had the same thing there. It was like that window that was stuck and they could never open it. And then all of a sudden it's like open in itself. Right. So it makes you wonder, are they supernaturally stuck closed? Or is it just the ghost is really strong? (laughs) I don't know. A phone at the restaurant was hidden and never found. An employee got grabbed from behind by someone he couldn't see. Sarah seems to be no nonsense, so nobody thinks this was her spirit. 
On occasion, when the opener gets to the restaurant, they find the state of the interior as if someone threw a party overnight. Oh, what a pain in the butt. I know. You think, okay, I don't want to be closer because I'm not going to be in here by myself at night, but I also don't want to come in as opener because then I got to clean up after the ghost party or whatever. <laughs> I had visions of the haunted mansion party scene. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's under the table for sure. Next, we have the Chapel of Our Lady of Guadalupe. The chapel was built by nuns who made the adobe bricks themselves. They were led by Dominican nun Sister Giotto. It was built to give the students of Sagrada Art Studios a suitable place to pray as a group. Sister Giotto made four colored glass windows for the chapel and called them her most significant body of work. Three are in storage, but the fourth can be seen today at the left of the entryway and features a representation of the sun and moon phases. Six wooden benches line the adobe walls in the sanctuary with hand-carved scripture verses on the chairbacks. Our Lady of Guadalupe is considered the patroness of the Americas, and because the Spanish and Native Americans love her, the chapel was dedicated to her. The chapel is often used for weddings. You can find it in the Patio Escondido Mall. This is really weird, but they say the chapel is home to what people claim is the scariest ghost in Old Town. Really? Yeah, and I mean, we've got some stories that we're going to continue to tell you here. So I'm like, really? This is the scariest? It's the Lady in Black. Now, I know the Lady in Black movies can be pretty scary. Those horror movies and stuff. But the way they describe her, she's often seen as a full-bodied apparition dressed in black, sitting on a bench. She's either seen praying, meditating, or sometimes she's sobbing. So I'm not sure what about that makes her scary, other than she just appears and disappears out of nowhere. I mean, it sounds like she's in a period of mourn to me. Yeah, <laughs> that's why she's wearing black and right. praying and crying. And yes, if something just pops up next to you, it is going to startle you quite a bit. So I don't know if that's what they're talking about. It's not like they sit there and go, and then all of a sudden her face melts and her claws come out and she has these fangs. And, and she screams menacingly yeah. at you. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I don't get it, but okay. Jeff Steam wrote in a comment on YouTube, I've seen her, I swear. I walked in and there was a woman in a black veil praying. I stepped out because I wanted to give her privacy and I had an odd feeling. She never came out. I went back in and no one was in there. He's probably standing outside going, golly lady, come on. <laughs> Other people want to use the chapel. I found it odd but figured I somehow missed her. It was very strange and spooky. A few years later, I learned the story of the woman and was shocked. I told no one because they wouldn't believe me. Also, this is a special place, but I swear that I saw her. Next, we have the Old Town Cafe. The La Placida Dining Rooms was a restaurant that had once been the home of the Armijo family and even a trading post. Juan Nepomuceno Armijo built the family house in 1706. The Armijo family was powerful and prominent. Manuel Armijo, who had lived in the house, was the last Mexican governor of New Mexico. The house went into ruin for a while and became a restaurant in the 1930s, and the open-air patio was enclosed although a large cottonwood tree does grow through the roof. An old staircase was imported from Spain, so it could be used during a wedding. The La Placita permanently closed and was bought by Michelle Lameres, who opened the Old Town Cafe in the location in 2022. Employees claimed to see the spirit of a little girl who's believed to have died in a bedroom in the late 1880s. Cold spots are felt and employees claim to hear their names called out by a disembodied voice. Customers have claimed to see a weird mist take shape over their tables and then dissipate. Patrons claim to see the face of a young woman in the ladies' restroom when there is no young lady standing there. Oh boy. Ladies' restroom. Always. I'll see if I can get a picture of the interior of this. It looks really cool with this. It's a really large trunk that you just see going through the back corner of the restaurant. So you can't even see the top of the tree anymore. I've seen a couple buildings that were enclosed that way in like their atrium area. And I think it's so cool. Yeah. I mean, at least they saved the tree. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day. And for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial grade supplies for every industry with same day pickup and next day delivery on most orders. All backed by real people ready to help so you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello out there. I'm Aaron Habel of Generation Y, and with me is Jack Luna of Dark Topic. We'd like to introduce you to Marooned, a new podcast that's sure to capture your attention. 
Tales of the catastrophically lost are what we have to offer. Hikers swallowed by the woods. Explorers discovering nothing but destitution. True crime calamity. Oddities of harrowing human experience. It's a museum of misadventure. Subscribe to Marooned wherever you find podcasts. We are waiting. Please hurry. Thank you. Welcome to Codependence. What's up, guys? I'm Sierra Miller, and I want you to join me and my sister, Maya Allen, every week for the inside scoop into our sisterhood. You will be getting front row access to the good, the bad, the ugly, and the pretty. So come let your guard down with your fellow codependents as we laugh and, of course, cry our way through this crazy world. See you every Wednesday. And next we have the Boathead Mansion. If you live in Albuquerque and you know this location and we are saying this wrong, we apologize now because when I looked this up, it gave the Spanish pronunciation as like Botera. But this guy is from New York. So I don't know if it should be Botcher, Botcher. <laughs> it's B-O-T-T-G-E-R. Okay. But we're going to say it in the Spanish way because it's Albuquerque. So why not? The Botera Mansion was built by the man for whom it was named, Charles Botera. He was born in New York City and eventually made his way to Albuquerque around 1893. He found work at the Sunnyside Tavern, which was owned by Tom Post. Botera married Post's stepdaughter, Miguela, and thus he became the owner of the tavern when Post passed away. In 1909, the couple demolished the tavern and built the Botera Mansion, which was completed in 1912. The mansion was designed by Edward Buxton Christie, in the American four-square style, and had all the modern amenities of the time. That meant that the mansion was the first residence in Old Town Albuquerque to have gas lighting. The house had a dumbwaiter, pressed tin ceilings, a coal-fired central heater, and a speaker system using tubes. How cool. Yeah. And (laughs) it had a basement, which nothing in Albuquerque had one of those. It was unheard of there. The mansion was called the Pride of Old Town. And the other thing that makes this very unique is we're talking about all these Pueblo-styled places built out of stone or mud and brick and all that stuff. This looks like a regular house. Botera also owned one of the first cars in Albuquerque. He died in 1914, and Miguela found herself having to turn the mansion into a boarding house to make ends meet. One of the renters was Machine Gun Kelly, who stayed here with his girlfriend and members of his gang. They used assumed names and had disguised themselves by dyeing their hair and wearing different clothing. The group would pay a local boy to go out and bring them food. This made Miguela suspicious and she called the police, but a member of the gang heard her making the call and everybody left before the authorities got there. Elvis Presley stayed at the Botera with his bandmates, Bill Black and Scotty Moore, in 1956 when they did two performances in Albuquerque. Frank Sinatra attended a wedding here and performed in the courtyard. The property remained in the Botetta family until 1970, when family disputes over ownership led to it being sold. The mansion passed through several hands and served as a restaurant, art gallery, beauty parlor, and then in 1989, it became a bed and breakfast and remains that today. It has been restored to its original form, and its location on Historic Route 66 makes it a prime place to stay. This is the only lodging to be found in the Old Town Historic District. Steve and Kathy Hyatt are the current owners and have been for 14 years. Charles Botera loved his home and is said to remain in the afterlife. But he isn't the only one here. There's a spirit nicknamed the Lover who likes to sit on the bed of sleeping women and a sighing female ghost. And people have also described an older female ghost that people called Grandmother. Amazingly, with so many spirits here, Kelly, that's it. That's all I found. There's no, this person had this experience. This is what they see, or that was all. It's, it's got four distinctive spirits, supposedly, and not one personal story out there. Well, that's disappointing. I know. I'm like, share the stories. We're going to have to stay there so we can have our own. I'd rather stay at the next place, honestly. Well, that's true. You're right. <laughs> we'll this have to road trip and bounce around. Yes, Kelly. Why don't you tell everybody about the Painted Lady Bed and Brew? And not like a bubbling cauldron. <laughs> Well, it could be toil and trouble and all that good stuff. (laughs) And like we were saying, if we were ever in New Mexico, we know where we are staying. First, the website is breakfastisoverrated.com. All one word. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, and I mean, that pretty much just sums it up for them. Second, there's a little cartoon female ghost holding a beer mug at the top of the website. Bingo. And finally, this is a bed and brew. Such a unique and novel concept. There are only a few of these unique establishments in America. The name Painted Lady was inspired by the working gals of the former establishment here. Because if people don't know, the only women who would wear makeup back in the day were working girls. Nine to five? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I think they worked at more than just nine to five. The original building was constructed in 1881 and ran as a saloon and brothel, playing witness to many shootouts and knife fights. It came under the ownership of Cesario Sario Gonzalez in 1899, and he operated it as the Swastika Saloon. Now, hearing that immediately makes one think of Nazis, but this was way before they came on the scene. This was a Navajo symbol that meant life and prosperity and good fortune. And for a lot of people who are familiar with it, internationally it has that kind of cultural symbolism too until the Nazis totally twisted it into something else. For those of you who are supporters of the show, we had a bonus cast about the chemo theater, and that's one of the main pieces of decor they have in there is the swastika, and it comes in four different colors, and it represents the night and wind and sun and other things like that. So at first when I saw this, I'm like, swastika saloon, what? And then I went, but wait, the time period, and I was like, oh, that's right, they that symbol used to have a positive, but not anymore, unfortunately. However, the saloon quickly became a place of ill repute. People knew it as a dance hall with a wine room. At the time, wine room was code for brothel. The brothel thrived with the town having five men to every woman. Yikes. Yeah, you. <laughs> Sorry. Not being judgmental, I just was putting myself in that position going, uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, this was a crib-style brothel, which we have covered on other episodes. Basically, a room big enough to fit a mattress was where the women worked. Many of them serviced 50 men a day. This business wasn't illegal, Kelly. As a matter of fact, prostitution was legal in New Mexico until 1914. So, of course, the brothel closed down after that. Wink, wink. It actually ran illegally until Prohibition. The saloon had its own song and made headlines in local papers all the time. There was this article, Four Wounded in Cutting a Fray, One May Die, or Saloon Keepers Bound Over to Grand Jury. And then there's Hold Knife Man for Stabbing at Swastika Saloon. And Company Commission... Here's Roadhouse Complaints, so a lot of people referred to this as a roadhouse. Sario shut down the Swastika Saloon when Prohibition started, and he died before Prohibition was repealed. His son Charlie opened up Charlie's Grocery here in 1930, and uh, the brothel was still there. So there was like an attached part to it, so that attached part was still the uh, wine room. Have a little lunch and then a little dessert. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to have a little wine with your groceries? <laughs> Charlie ran this combo business until the late 1970s. Can you imagine? The property then became a triplex with three apartments. Jesse Heron bought the building in 2014 and did a complete renovation. The Painted Lady Bed and Brew opened on August 3rd, 2018. There were thought to be four spirits at the Bed and Brew. Some may have been exercised. The most haunted room here was said to be the owner's suite, and Heron has had several experiences. Heron said he made a deal with one of the spirits in his suite, saying, Leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. But Heron said the ghost didn't keep with the deal and started to torment Heron's dog, making it yelp in pain. And Heron noticed bloody marks on his body from being bitten or poked by something. You mess with my dog, you've had it. Yeah, no kidding. We think this is what Heron describes as a succubus on the website, writing, I blame my friend for dropping this lady demon off at my home. It was September 11th, 2017. We were headed out on a bike ride in the Bosque. The house had been cleansed of Bill just a few months earlier and armed with a grid of black tourmaline in each corner of the apartment. Yet, something was back in the house. Murray would yelp in pain from his bed in my bedroom. After running in to check on him, he was staring with his ears up at a spot just over my bed. Then one night, I remember sleeping and waking up to this very uncomfortable, disgusting feeling that consumed me. In my dream, I think... I saw a tall black shadow enter the bedroom and climb the walls, getting closer to me. Yikes. Yeah. I woke up in hysterics. I called the mediums the next day. After another demon trap session. Apparently this is something they do there every so often. We're going to trap that demon. This, the terminology made me giggle. 
They were unsuccessful in driving this entity into the trap. Rather, it left out the window to likely end up in someone else's home. This time, they informed me that unlike Bill, this thing was never human. It was a succubus. Of course, I think demons are pretty rare things, so I'm not sure what this negative entity was that came in here. And I'm also one of those people that gets a little bit like, um, since I am skeptical, first of all, you got to convince me there's something there. And then to convince me that you can make something leave and exercise something just as a regular person. I uh, I have a hard time believing that stuff, too. I'm kind of the same way with that as I am with psychics. Some of it I believe, some I don't. Heron shares his first experience that he had here. This was the first eye-opening ghost experience for me at the brothel. It was the summer of 2014. In the middle of the night, while sleeping on my stomach, something was on top of me, forcing me down into the bed. So this is almost like a reverse sleep paralysis. I remember being angry at first that it was trying to force me down. But once it was over, I remember being so excited to tell everybody about the ghost that made actual physical contact. (laughs) So why is he trying to exercise the place then if he was excited about it? Well, clearly they thought that those were demons previously. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you think it's demonic, you do want to get it out. Another experience in 2015 for Heron was my mom was helping me put the final touches on a room mere hours prior to the first guests arriving back in October 2015. It was a real rush, and I was dealing with a tremendous amount of stress and pressure. I remember attaching handles on the kitchen cabinets in the Lizzie suite. My mom had the job of removing packing tape from the refrigerator shelves. I will never forget her looking over at me and saying, What did you just say? I, of course, had said nothing. She told me that a man's voice had said to her, Can you grab me a beer? (laughs) Now, I love that this is not only intelligent enough to actually be speaking to her, but it was because she was messing around in the refrigerator. Exactly. (laughs) It's probably like, hey, hot dang, we've got a new refrigerator. There's got to be beer in there. Especially if he's intelligent and he knew that it was going to be named Bed and Brew. Well, here's the thing. And this is why I got confused. I told you earlier that I was a little confused about when this opened and when people were staying here. Because when I was reading the experiences, I'm like, well, if it didn't open in 2018, how were people staying here? I think it opened officially as the Painted Lady Bed and Brew in 2018, but it must have been open before that for guests as just a regular bed and breakfast or something Ah, before. And then he got this idea to start doing the local craft brews when you're there. And there is a rule in New Mexico that you can have, I think, two 12-ounce beers that they can serve you a day. So that's it. You can get, and I'm assuming those are like on the house kind of thing. So they can give you two free 12-ounce beers and then you got to purchase the rest or bring your own or what have you. Maybe this is where he got the idea to make it a bed and brew. Hey, (laughs) that experience was the spirit. (laughs) He went, wait, it wants a beer. Why don't we serve beer? I maybe. And then we mentioned earlier that there had been this bill spirit. Heron says of that bill as the spirit was known was present when I bought the home in 2014. A person related to the original family informed me that the owner suite was haunted. He told me that when the property was a hotel, a jealous husband, Bill, took an axe to his lover and his lover's lover when he caught them in the act in this room. Unbeknownst to me, Bill was fairly upset that I bought the home and spent a year or so making his distaste for me clear. A Buddhist priestess cleared the home of two spirits in 2014 after the home became almost uninhabitable. Wow, that is so strange to me because before that it was an apartment and I didn't hear any stories of people like running out of there in terror. Bill was the lone spirit that stuck around. I remember thinking that we had an understanding. I'd stay out of his way and he'd stay out of mine. This was not the case. When the paranormal activity reached a peak during the summer of 2017, I called two new mediums to force the spirit out. Bill was successfully exercised via a demon trap on June 14th, 2017. So I guess they've used that demon trap a couple times and it's worked. And it doesn't sound like Bill was a demon, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, and that's the other thing. He clearly was a, a jerk in real life and a murderer, so... I don't know why he's there because he didn't die there. He just killed them. So I don't know if he had to come back to the place of his crime or what. This is a great place, Kelly. They offer a bruise and booze package and that's B-O-O-S. So this place embraces their ghosts. You get uh, a book that talks about the old town Albuquerque, which is actually a part of the collection that I like to get. And they have like EMFs and stuff that you can use to investigate. We just bring our own equipment, so... Next up, we have the High Noon Restaurant and Saloon. High Noon, does that mean they're, you know, doing a shootout in the middle of the street? Bow, wow, wow. Yeah. Bow, bow, bow. 
The High Noon Restaurant and Saloon is a veteran-owned restaurant serving up wild game, steak, and margaritas. All right. (laughs) It officially opened in July of 1974 by the Via family and has stayed in the family from its inception. The original part of the building was constructed in the 1750s and was a home for several years. Then it served as a saloon and brothel. Carlos and Felicitas Villal were married in 1910 and moved into the house in 1920. At the time, Felicitas was pregnant with the couple's third child. Their youngest, Willie, died five months after moving in from gastritis. The baby was born and was another son named Ernesto, and he passed away after his first birthday. Felicitas was soon pregnant again and gave birth to a girl who also passed away at just two months from pneumonia. Another baby was stillborn. That's four kids in a row. I can't even imagine as a mother. She must have just been devastated. Yeah. Carlos then came down with syphilis. And let's just say that Felicitas didn't give it to him. She had him committed to the New Mexico Hospital for the Insane, where he passed away in 1927, which is kind of different. Usually you're getting the wife committed, not the husband. (laughs) Exactly. And when he died, she wouldn't even go claim the body. Wow. So she was like, you cheat on me, you jerk. (laughs) I don't even want the body back. Felicitas passed away in 1959, and the property passed to her surviving children, who had held on to it until it was bought by the Villas and turned into the restaurant. For a time in the 1960s, this was a furniture store and then an apartment. A 16-year-old, Freddie Moya, was fatally stabbed at a New Year's Eve party happening down the street in 1951. The Moya family had lived across the street from the High Noon restaurant. Patrons and employees have experienced unexplained activity. Bartenders have seen glasses move or go crashing to the floor. The activity is so intense here that Dead Files visited in July of 2015. Steve was told that employees and patrons had been experiencing electrical problems, weird noises, objects moving, apparitions had been seen, and people had been touched. Employees have had to have their schedules changed because they don't want to close at night. The current owner, Carla, is the daughter of the man who opened the restaurant, and she took Steve behind the bar and told him that she often feels something breathing on the back of her neck. What made this even more unusual, and I thought this as I was watching it, but wait, you have long hair. How do you feel that? And he actually asked her, you have long hair. Can you feel it through that? And she said, yes. Oh, wow. So, I mean, something that's breathing on her is doing it pretty hard if you can feel it. I mean, you would know better than I, because I don't have hair on the back of my neck, really. Yeah, her hair wasn't really thick, but it was was still long and... Yeah, it would have to be some pretty intentional breathing. Yeah. Carla's 15-year-old daughter is pretty scared of the spirits. She was once sitting in the dining room by herself playing a video game when she heard a woman crying out in agony. She said she was the only person there except for her mom back in the kitchen. And she went to check and her mom was perfectly fine. So it wasn't her mom. The scariest thing that's happened to her is that she got trapped in the woman's restroom. Again, the women's restroom. She tried opening the door and she felt like something was pushing back against it. She kicked the door to get out finally. Charlie is Carla's 16-year-old son. He feels very uncomfortable in the restaurant at night. He once saw a cowboy sitting on the last seat at the bar wearing a brown trench coat and a cowboy hat. I'm thinking it was probably a duster. Yeah, definitely. This was at 8 o'clock in the morning and the restaurant wasn't even opened yet. Charlie thought it was strange, but maybe someone had let him in early. Charlie went through the bar to the gallery, and when he looked back, the cowboy was gone. On another occasion, Charlie was passing through a hallway and looked through these double doors and saw a woman floating with no arms and no legs. Oh, no. No, 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 no. (laughs) He was so startled, he had an anxiety attack. I don't blame him. Can you imagine being 16 and seeing something like that? I'd be freaked out at my age. Yeah. And I don't know why she didn't have any arms or legs. It's just weird. Shirley is Carla's mother. So it was her and her husband who originally started the restaurant, and they are both in their 80s. For the first 32 years of ownership, she said that she'd had no personal experiences. So she's gone through three decades of nothing happening to her. Then one night, she opened a door and stepped into one of the dining rooms, and she immediately saw an apparition on the other side of the room that came at her very quickly and passed right through her. She felt this icy feeling like nothing she'd ever experienced before. Shirley described her as being small. She also told Steve that they had two different electric companies come out to work on light issues they were having with lights flickering, and neither company found anything wrong. Interesting. 
Now, for anybody who's watched The Dead Files, you know they intersperse it where Steve is talking about the real stuff, getting the history, the experiences, while Amy is walking through and doing her psychic impressions. And they intermix the two so that, like, if he's getting some information that goes with what Amy's impressions are, they line up with each other. I have to trust that the show is actually Amy doesn't know anything and that these impressions really are lining up with each other. So here we're going to talk about Amy's impressions, and it's going to link up pretty close with everything you've been hearing here. Amy picked up on a lot of residual energy she described as lots of men and pandemonium, people drinking and partying and getting crazy. Amy said the effect of all this energy would be claustrophobic and make people feel dizzy. She felt as though somebody had gotten stabbed to death when she was behind the bar, and this spirit had a lot of pain and sticks to the bar. This pain seems to transfer to other people. Amy picked up on the name Frankie and said this victim had been stabbed twice, once in the front and once in the back. That is how Freddie died. So we mentioned Freddie Moya before, right. and that's exactly how he died. And she goes, I'm getting like a Frankie. So she got pretty close with the name. In one of the storerooms, Amy felt the spirit of a murderer. She picked up on a short, heavier woman who presented as a busybody. <laughs> was in her 40s and new to the being dead thing. This little woman gets very angry because people ignore her. She tends to mess with electrical stuff. It would seem that she is Felicitas. But I also got to wondering if this is a newly dead person, surely hasn't had any experiences for the first 32 years of ownership and then all of a sudden the experience she has is horrific. And this is a place she's been coming to and working every day of her life for the last right. three decades. And you walk in and a little short ghost rushes at you like it wants to kill you. And passes right through you. Mm-hmm. So it made me think, I wonder if this was a newly dead person who just somehow came walking on over and decided they wanted some ownership of the restaurant here. Or was trying to get her attention, but Felicitas had been dead for a while. Yeah. So, so that's why I was like, I don't know if this was Felicitas. I mean, they kind of were treating it like it was, but I'm like, maybe because Amy was saying that she thought it was somebody who was more newly dead. She died suddenly, like of a heart attack or something. I'm not sure. A town marshal named Milton Yarberry was hanged down the street from the restaurant. He had been a murderer and was a bad dude. People lined the streets to cheer his execution. They even sold tickets for people to get rooftop views. Oh, my goodness. More than likely, the restaurant had people standing up on the roof watching this as well. Amy picked up on this energy outside the restaurant and could hear a lot of men yelling and see a man being walked through the streets. This could leave some bad energy in the whole of Old Town because they just related it. Of course, they were just visiting this one location in Old Town. So everything was connected to that. But I'm like, this was a whole old town thing going on. So I could see that lots of places are picking up on that energy. Right. And if he was a town marshal, I mean, if he was a bad dude, there were going to be a lot of people cheering it on. Exactly. And, you know, Amy always describes a picture and has an artist draw it for her. And Milton Yarberry, dead ringer for the picture when you put the two side by side. Wow. So that's definitely what she was seeing. This is a guy who'd killed multiple people in other states. And managed to make his way down to New Mexico and somehow became, became the marshal. <laughs> and then he killed somebody and managed to pretend, tell a little fib about how it was self-defense. And he actually got acquitted for that. And then shortly thereafter, there was a guy who had robbed a place or something. So he goes to the scene of the crime or whatever and sees this guy walking down the street and shoots him three times in the back. Doesn't even look at him. Doesn't know who the hell he is. He just shoots the guy three times in the back. Good grief. Took the jury 10 minutes to say, no, you're guilty. And that's why he was finally executed. I think they already knew he was a bad guy and they couldn't get him on the ones. So they're like, no, nope, we're getting him on this one. They did a thing back then that was, quote unquote, new for hanging. That was supposed to be more new and improved. It was called the jerking method. So this is the one where they would just yank you back really hard, hoping, oh, I guess, to break grief. your neck in that way rather than dropping you right. enough that it would do it. So when they yanked him back, he hit his head on the top of whatever they were hanging him from, and it busted up his skull. It was so bad, they could not get the noose off of his head. So they just had to cut it off, and he was buried with the noose around his neck. Ah, good grief. So I could see him having some bad energy and still hanging around this place yeah, a little bit. possibly. <laughs> Old Town also has many spirits that just wander the streets. People claim to see the spirits of Civil War soldiers and other apparitions. Hundreds of years of non-Indigenous history is captured along the streets of Old Town. 
Imagine how much indigenous history that we don't even know has taken place here, too. Is Old Town Albuquerque haunted? That is for you to decide. They offer a ghost tour of Old Town. You can find that at abqtours.fun slash ghost tours. We do have the link in the show notes. Definitely a place for us to go check out, Kelly. I'd love to. I haven't been down in that area and actually hung out and seen things in quite some time. I used to go quite a bit when I lived in Colorado, but now that I'm over here on the East Coast, haven't been back much. We drove through New Mexico on a quick trip coming home with a car. So <laughs> Yes, we did. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you'd like to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. So, Kelly, our executive producers, most of you, unless you're international, it's probably going to be way after Christmas by the time you get your magnets. But for those of you who are here on stateside, you've gotten your History Goes Bump magnet for this year. And it features Kelly and I in our pirate costume standing outside the very haunted gates of St. Augustine. And we got an email from one of our supporters. She said, Hello, spooktaculars and happy holidays. I received your card and noticed that this year's holiday magnet features St. Augustine's gates with the caption saying most haunted gates in the U.S. Well, that got me remembering my own ghostly story from there from 15 plus years ago. You see, my boyfriend at the time and I traveled to St. Augustine for our college spring break in early 2000s, maybe 2004. We had a great time and took lots of photos. It was the first time visiting St. Augustine for both of us. Upon our return home, we took our cameras to CVS to get the film developed and photos printed. We noticed that one picture, which we took while walking after dark, had a cloudy mass around me. We were very excited to assume that we had captured a ghost. The location was close to the gates, and I will say I have seen several photos near this location. We actually did an episode called Outside the Gates that have some really convincing ghost pictures. They're just crazy. Uh, The St. George Inn is right there. And I'd gone over there and they were showing me all kinds of pictures that were just creepy as get out, like tour guides whose faces looked like they were like smearing or melting. Oh, God. The boyfriend and I have broken up years ago. And since we had a bad breakup, I threw out everything that would have reminded me of him. Oh, college drama. I definitely thought that I wouldn't have that photo anymore. But I started digging in my small box of memorabilia. And to my surprise, I came across a stack of old films. I started looking and sure enough, the image was there. And what she's talking about is the negative. She had the negative. Right. (laughs) For people who don't know what those are anymore. I then contacted my friend who's a photographer and asked him if he could get it printed for me and I sent it over. He was able to do even better. He did his magic and sent the photo to me digitally. I'm attaching it. It's hard to see, but the photo is actually in front of Ripley's Museum because the sign is visible in it. The cloudy part looks to me like someone is riding a horse. Is it a ghost or just bad film? That is for you to decide. Feel free to share the story and the image if you like. Happy holidays. Well, thank you, Yana, for sharing that with us. I will put this photo up on Instagram. Kelly, I poo-poo a lot of pictures. The minute I brought this up, I went, whoa. Yeah, it definitely looks to me like the spirit of a horse and rider, and the rider is going by quickly, like at a gallop. Exactly. And when she says it's like a cloudy, misty form, she is perfectly clear. So this is a ghost photo, which usually when people share those with you, there's a bunch of pixelation, blurry. So it's like, well, it could be anything since it's blurry. She's clear as day. And it looks like she literally is surrounded in this smoky, unclear, cloudy thing. So it's not like somebody generated an image from Photoshop and slapped it in there. And you can see it in the negative. I'll put up the picture of the negative, too. I don't know. I want to know what you guys think. It sure does look like something on horseback. And like it's like you said, it's looks like it's whipping the horse. Like, come on, let's get going. Yeah, possibly uh, taking the reins with their arm back behind on the, the rear of the horse. But it definitely looks like it's galloping by. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Check it out on Instagram. And then Megan and the Spooktacular crew wrote, So I work second shift in a factory that's been around since 1886. And I've worked here for three years and never had a lot of issues haunting-wise. I've heard stories, and I get smells quite often of old-fashioned men's cologne. But last night, I was in the office and came around the corner to see a little girl in a white dress that looked like it could be from the 1800s. She just strolled on past. I've heard stories about this girl and always wondered why she would be here. My guess is she was part of a family that worked for the railroad, which is right behind the factory, wondering if maybe there was an accident of some sort. I was like, whoa. Yeah, I haven't really had any experiences here. Now I've seen a full-bodied apparition. (laughs) That's amazing. 
Definitely. We still have yet to see a full-bodied apparition. Yep. Seen a shadow figure, but not... It's not for lack of trying. Right. A lot of listeners responded to this and had a feeling that maybe she actually worked at the factory because, you know, kids back then, they worked in the factories. This is true. And many of them would get killed in these accidents because, oh, you're small enough to get in there and unhook something or unstick something, something like that. So she may have actually died in the factory from an accident. Very cool. Thanks for sharing that, Megan. want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand-ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.